All right. Let's get our Bibles, please. Good evening. Glad you're here. All right. Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse number 10. We're going to look at something tonight. Uh, the title of this message is sorrow. So, oh boy, this sounds like a real drag. Well, the wonderful thing about the Lord is with the Lord, bad is good. Strange, isn't it? The world is working really hard to make evil good and good evil. And it's a sad thing because, you know, they're going the wrong direction. They're headed the wrong way. And it's a painful future. It's really, you think about it, it's a crummy road to travel because the pleasures of sin are but for a season. You wake up and you feel worse than you did when you, you know, were trying to feel good and spend a lot of money to do it. Uh, and so, you know, they're headed the way they think is right. And they're, you know, gung-ho, spending a lot of money, a lot of power and all that other stuff. And the rest of us, you know, they're trying to knuckle under. Uh, but for them to make evil good and good evil, that's their deal. For us, with the Lord, bad's good. And it's kind of weird. Uh, it's hard for us to believe that by faith, but it really is. The Lord said, take up thy cross daily and follow me. That sounds like a pretty dumb thing to do, right? Think about it. What what sense is there in putting on something that is a symbolic of one of the most painful forms of execution in human history? Seriously? Lord, you, you... But that's how it is with the Lord. Bad is good. Sorrow is not bad. Not with the Lord. Sorrow is a good thing. And for us, you know, sometimes doing without is the best thing in the world we could have. I was kind of feeling at home when we first got here. You know, we're, for, for, for me, you know, we get past the single digits to double digits. Whoa. We went from uh, nine to ten. Huh? Double digits. Cool. Sorrow. Uh, so this should be a good message. I mean, if I don't mess it up, it should be a real blessing. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse number ten. If you don't stand, please. The Bible here says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Isn't that the Christian? Weird, isn't it? All right, you can be seated. Father, I thank you for the opportunity, the privilege to be here. I thank you, Lord, that we as Christians, uh, your children, and you went to great lengths to make that a permanent, uh, permanent situation. And to that, we're thankful. Lord, we thank you for this precious word of God, the, the Bible. And I pray, Lord, you'd bless us as we look at the word of God and look at this thing of sorrow and how we as Christians can benefit from sorrow. All things work together for good, even sorrow. And help us tonight as we look at that. In Jesus' name, we pray. Help us, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. All right? No pain, no gain. Uh, and for the Christian, we're likened unto athletes, and that's a good thing. So yeah, pain is, a, is good. Uh, the Marines say pain is just weakness leaving the body. Right? And we're like the military, aren't we? 
So all called to be soldiers. Second Corinthians one, verse number five, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ and consolation is a good thing. Amen. Uh, you too probably could use consolation and I'm sure plenty of people have done the best they can to try and provide some consolation. I'm sure they've tried to do that for your dad. I, I, I would want consolation if I was in that position. And I imagine you folk here, uh, not really shepherdless, but it's been a little bit of a trying time. I'm sure you could use some consolation. Consolation's a good thing. How do you get it? You pay for it. How do you pay for it? You just go through some stuff. You all have. Amen. The world's going through it too. Imagine going through what the world's going to go through and then end up going to hell on top of it. I, you think about those people in that uh, sphere thing, that sub thing that went down. I don't know if anyone on there was saved. Maybe none of them were. But imagine going from that, you know, very frightful and a crummy end, and then end up in hell? Uh, you know, I might go through some crummy stuff, and the Lord says, you know what, I can use this crummy stuff, and it'll end up bringing up roses afterwards. And then you get to go to heaven on top of it. Lord, really? All this in heaven too? Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now we're saved. Now we know better. If he was a man of sorrows, we could be too. Right? It's not a bad thing. Now sorrow isn't a place you want to camp out. Sorrow is a place you want to visit and leave. We went. To, we had a chance to go to Australia when I was uh, young in our marriage, which was a good thing. Um, we got to go to Australia for five months, and uh, they'd say, hey, how was Australia? I said, you know, it's a wonderful place to visit, but I don't want to live there. And sorrow is a good place to visit, but you don't need to live there. You know, you don't want to go to depression. You just want to learn what you can learn from sorrow, get the blessings, and then move on. Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Amen. We had my mother-in-law's... Uh, we had her memorial yesterday. And it was some sadness. But it was good. 83 years in heaven now. Got to see, uh, I, we were talking, you know, she died in a hospital bed in um, Providence Hospital. And uh, she had her, her final stroke. She couldn't swallow. And the doctor said, she's going to die because she can't swallow. So, you know, dying a thirst, I imagine, is about a three-day process. And... Uh, you know, we visit her in the hospital bed saying it is well with my soul to her and talk to her for a little while and she can't talk, she can't, she's just laying there. And she died about 7 a.m. on a Monday morning. And she, oftentimes they'd find her, you know, she'd be reading her Bible and praying, uh, having a Bible study maybe. Every day she'd spend some time with the Lord in prayer and in the Word of God. And I can just imagine, you know, that Monday morning, 7 o'clock, the Lord looking down, you know, like he often did with her as she read and prayed. Only this time is different. 
This time she got to look up and see her Savior for the first time in 83 years and then go off to heaven and live forever with him. (laughs) That's the kind of sorrow you and I get to partake in. Good stuff. Sorrow, the uneasiness or pain of mind which is produced by the loss of any good or frustrated hopes of good or expected loss of happiness to grieve, to be sad. And there's different categories of sorrow. There's a sorrow that's caused by God's judgment uh, on Adam and Eve, probably the first place we would find sorrow. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Amen. And thy conception in sorrow shalt thou bring forth children and the desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. That can bring some sorrow too. <laughs> Why is he so stubborn? I don't know. Sometimes we're that way, aren't we? It's good when we're right. It's a pain in the neck when we're just being stubborn. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Life after the fall, after the garden, on the other side of the garden, can be very difficult. Can it? You and I are living in it. You ladies are putting up with what... The Lord put on her. And us guys, we're putting up what the Lord put on him. Amen. Think of a single mom. She's putting up with both of it. You say, is that the ideal way? No, no, it's not the ideal way. It'd be be best if it worked out. But, you know, some things don't work out. And that single mom's got both them things to deal with. These difficulties can cause sorrow, stress, worry. Having children and providing for them can be a real struggle. Sometimes and can cause... Uh, can be a real struggle sometimes and can cause sorrow of heart. Pray for each other and the daily difficulties that come with growing up, providing for your family, being a wife and having kids and, and all that. That's a lot, a lot involved there. Amen. We all need one another in prayer. Encourage one another. That's why they have a body, a local body of believers where you can get together and shake each other's hand and pray for one another, lift one another up in prayer because we all battle with it, right? Every day. The sorrow that comes with the daily duties of life, amen? Number two, sorrow because of sin committed. Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 9, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry. Amen? So preaching isn't, you know, the end goal isn't to make you feel crummy because you're a jerk. <laughs> Or you did something, you know, you shouldn't have done. It's to get there and go. <laughs> Sorrow isn't a place to stay. Even if it's because of sin, you want to get there, get the thing right with God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us because the guy next to us is going to have to deal with the same thing. If not now, later. Amen. But that she sorrowed to repentance, for you made sorry after godly manner that she might receive damage by us and nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, 
but the sorrow of this world worketh death. Proper sorrow is guided by others. Paul here. And it's necessary. So Paul here is guiding these Corinthians to sorrow because of their carnality, right? And it's necessary for reconciliation, recovery, and restitution, which is the end goal. We want reconciliation. We want recovery. We want restitution. We don't want to keep talking about people. <laughs> you know, let's get right with God. Let's let's move on and, and be a blessing to one another. The bittersweet process of judgment and realization of sin committed causing that judgment. The bittersweet realization of your blame for your present condition as guided by the word and spirit of God can bring you to a place of heartfelt repentance and mercy from God. Amen. You know, it's, it's, it's a really good thing. What's written over there in the book of Romans, Romans chapter seven. So there's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Be careful of making yourself the crook, the thief, the liar, the drunkard, the jerk. That's not you. You're a new creature in Christ. That is you. Live up to it. And when you can't and don't live up to it, and I say can't, let me rephrase that. You always can, but you know, we're human beings. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Get it right with God and recognize that's not you. You're not a thief. You're not a jerk. You're not, you're not, uh, uh, whatever. It is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's the enemy, not you. Look in the mirror and realize you're a new creature in Christ. And the Lord equipped you to get the victory and you can. And when you don't, hey, there's other people are fighting the same thing you're fighting. Get right with God, get the restitution, and then, you know, uh, put on the new man and, and live for the Lord and enjoy it. That's the abundant life. Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse number five. Then came Shemaiah, the prophet to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah that were gathered together to Jerusalem because of Shishak. He was the uh, uh, pharaoh of uh, Egypt and he was coming in and going to just pummel Judah because of Rehoboam's sinfulness and did. And said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, ye have forsaken me, and therefore have I also left you in the hand of Shishak. Verse number six, whereupon the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. Amen? Verse number seven, And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Amen. And that's the end goal we want. If we should judge ourselves, we should not be condemned with the world. Amen. Uh, number, uh, sorry, three, sorrow caused by uh, your city, state, or country in decay. Uh. <laughs> Amen, preacher. I'm with you on that one. Boy, I tell you what, it's almost like they said, where's the, you know, the down elevator and let's hit basement number 10. You know, can we speed this thing up? It's just, are they trying to destroy this on purpose? Something. And it's, it almost looks like they're spending time, money, and ingenuity to do it. Wow. And you're along for the ride. 
So what do we do? We get all mad, frustrated, and angry, shake our fist, read all kinds of articles and, you know, CNN and Fox and get in the, the worldly fight. And No, 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 no. That, 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 my mother-in-law, she was born two weeks and a day after the start of World War II. Germany invaded Poland on September 1st, 1939. She was born September 16th, 1939. She lived for eight decades and I think it was 15 presidents. You know what? She read her Bible. She prayed. She went to church. Her kids got saved. Amen? And that's what we should do. But more specifically, what did Jeremiah do when his country was headed down the pathway to destruction and the king wasn't listening what did he do? He sighed and cried for his country. Folks, that's the right kind of sorrow. Sigh and cry for your country. Pray for your leaders. Wouldn't you love, wouldn't you love to see President Obama, I'm sorry, President Biden, kind of get it mixed up sometimes. They're both on the same path, you know. But on his knees before the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, shedding tears of joy. Thank you so much for saving me. You shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. Thank you so much. Pray that way. You know, one of the worst kings, the worst kings that Israel ever had. You read through these different kings and, you know, you get someone like Hezekiah and he's in there for 29 years. That's pretty good. Right? You get another king, he's in there for 10 years, and he was a good king. Boy, I wish we could have been in there a little longer. And you get a crummy king. Boy, I hope he gets out of there soon. Then you get to Manasseh. 55 years. King over Judah. And you know what? He was rotten to the core. Child sacrifices, false gods, I mean, rotten to the core. You know what he did before he died? He repented. He repented of the evil he did. Now, you and I, we might say, too late, buddy. I'll tell you what. I'll use a 357. It won't hurt much. But you're done. Right? You know what the Lord said? I'll grant you mercy. You know why? He asked, right, God, I'm a wicked nothing. You don't deserve to have mercy on me. I don't deserve to have mercy on me. But would you please? And the Lord said, okay. You pray for George Soros? You pray for Governor Inslee? Lord knows he needs it. But it's okay to sigh and cry for your country. Just don't let it bring you to depression. It's the way it is. Hope for the best and, you know, works out great. doesn't work out. Keep reading, praying, going to church, leading souls to Christ. Rejoice, Lord, all we again I say rejoice. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 2. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers lie waste 
and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. It's okay to feel bad that your country's going downhill fast. Just don't camp there. Don't get caught there, right? A world has all kinds of traps to draw in, and the Lord knows how for you to skillfully navigate. Number five, these last two points about the country going south and... uh Actually, not these last two, but this country going south and then just the burden of the responsibilities of life, uh, I think are part of why Jesus Christ was called a man of sorrows. I mean, think about it. Here is God. He wasn't eternal. God manifest in the flesh, right? That was 2,000 years ago. Before that, he didn't know what it was like to be in a human body. In Hebrews, it said he learned obedience. What's that? Here, God becomes a man Tired, thirsty, spit upon, hit. I haven't felt that before. That's what it's like to get smashed in the face. I never knew that. And I imagine some of the tolls of life, you know, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I can understand that. And imagine coming, I know anyone ever hear of a, uh, I think it was a book first, movie second, 90 minutes in heaven. A guy driving his car, pastor, I think it was a Baptist pastor, driving his car in North Carolina, South Carolina, going across a bridge and a truck going the other direction. The guy either fell asleep at the wheel or wasn't paying attention. And he went into his lane. He drove over his Ford Tempo, killed him. The coroner went to the scene, examined him, Pronounced him dead on the scene. And I think the, the, uh, first responders did too. But in that state, you had to have a coroner to pronounce him dead for legal purposes. And, uh, they're, you know, calling the, the, uh, crew to come in and, you know, get the car out of there, haul his body out, take it to the morgue. And, uh, Christian showed up, got out of his car, said, I want to pray for him. And they said, you know, I appreciate that, sir, but he's, He's a mess. A truck ran over him. His body is a mess. And I don't know if you want to see it. He said, look, I spent two, a tour or two in Vietnam. It, it won't bother me. He's dead. The Lord wants me to pray for him. He'd been there 90 minutes. Guy reached through the back window because the front was crushed. Reached through the back window, put his hand I reached the back one. I can't remember. Uh, I think he put his hand on his shoulder. The guy later recounted him putting his hand in his hand. He said, I couldn't reach your hand. He said, yeah, someone put their hand in my hand. <laughs> Anyways, he prayed over him. The guy came back. He said, he's alive. The coroner said, he's dead, man. He said, check him. He's alive. He's alive. And you know what he did for the next several weeks, maybe several months? He lamented life. Why did you bring me back to this? Intense pain. His leg was an absolute mess. His body was a mess. He was in intense pain 24-7 for months, years. Why didn't you just let me die? He got to see his family members up in heaven. The joy, the wonder, the splendor, and then to come back to this? Think about the Lord. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
I can understand that. I was getting a little bit bummed out about coming here. And not that I'm sorry, but understand. Did the memorial yesterday. My kids are in town, uh, which is, you know, a small army, my kids and grandkids. I got the service this morning, Sunday school service, and the kids are still over. And then I've got this evening service, and I caught my wife's cold. Uh, wash your hand. <laughs> um, and then I thought about Brother Ken. I'm fine. I'm fine. Lord, do you know what I'm going through? It's a dumb question. You know what I'm going through? You understand the stress I'm under? Yeah, I think so. From heaven to this place? You know, I'll tell you what. I, 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 Lord, let's talk about this. I don't want, you know, 4 BC. No air conditioning, running water. I, I, I'd like to, you know, give me a hotel, a presidential palace, you know, uh, good food. I want the best restaurants. You could have. I said, no, I want to rough it. There'll be times I won't have a place to lay my head. It's okay. I want to work with my hands for a living. I want to know what it's like to smash your knuckles. <clears throat> Tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Does he understand? Sure does. Does he care? Sure does. He's been there. Touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Isn't it nice when someone can, can commiserate with you because they've already been through it? Number six, sorrow is better than laughter. Better than uh, uh, laughter. That's what the Bible says. But laughter is good. It doesn't mean that sorrow is good and laughter is bad, but the Bible says sorrow is better than laughter. I mean, Mary Hart do good like a medicine, so there's nothing wrong with laughing and and a good, clean joke. That's a good thing. But sorrow with a kept heart is better. And I say a kept heart, we can go through sorrow and we can handle it one of two ways. We can handle it the wrong way and lead to depression, despondency, you know, woe is me. And, you know, everything's all centered around me and my woes and it go pretty crummy. Or we can keep our heart with all the diligence and handle this sorrow the way God wants us to handle it and enjoy the blessings of it. The benefits of sorrow. In Romans 8, 28, so all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. So sorrow must too. There was a book that was written, and I don't know if this gal saved or not, but some of the things that she mentions in here, and it's interesting, the Lord puts forth this reality and there are people that have lived in this reality, even atheists that have lived in this reality and looked at some of the things, you know, real science, and they end up getting saved because they realize, hey, this was a, a creation. It's it, it, evolution is just not, it's not plausible. And uh, so this girl wrote some things about sorrow. I'm just going to read you some of them. There's some very interesting points, and they're biblical. How sorrow and longing enrich your life. How can Tuning into sorrow help. 
For one thing, it deepens our connections to other people and increases our sense of common humanity. Second Corinthians chapter one. Let's take a quick look there. Second Corinthians chapter one. I think you're in second Corinthians five. Let's just take a quick look at second Corinthians chapter one. Verse number three, blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforted us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Now, How could you comfort someone without you getting into a position where you need comfort from God? Bad is good. The power of sadness, the way we're hardwired to care about others who are in pain, it can make us more empathetic towards others and draw others to us. As I mentioned before, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And my wife, she's been fighting arthritis for a long time. And, you know, it's hard for me sometimes to fully empathize with her. Sometimes I'm just, you know, downright selfish guy. Never thought that'd be so. But guys are. Right. When the Lord says, love your husband, he says, love your husband like you love yourself. Right. No man yet, ever yet hated his own body, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. <laughs> we can relate to that. I love me. So we'll love your wife that way. <laughs> but then I got arthritis. I had my uh, carpal tunnel surgery and boy, they're not numb like they used to be. I can sleep through the night, but it's like now the channel's open. The arthritis said, ah. Now I understand what she feels like. How you feeling, honey? Okay. You know what that means? She hurts. How does that make you feel? I understand. How can I help? Me? Thoughtful? Kind? Yeah. Lord's got a way of getting your heart right, doesn't he? Good thing. We've talked. I don't want to go back to 30 years old. Don't want to go. I don't want to go back to 20 years old. Like where I'm at. Like where we're headed. The road's been a blessing. I can't imagine what God's got in store for us. What he's done so far, it's a good life. And me, my wife and I, we get to live it together. Well, as far as that goes, you don't know. But right now we are. Yeah. If we could honor sadness a little more, maybe we could see it. Rather than with enforced smiles, but we'd see it as the bridge we need to connect with each other. Of course, admitting to pain and sharing vulnerabilities lets others know we're human too. And they help us stay humble in relationships. Like I said, I don't know if this gal saved or not, but there's some universal truths 
Lord put on this planet that a blind man could see. Deuteronomy 8, 2, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee through these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no rough journey through the wilderness. How'd they do? Well, that's some pretty rough spots. <laughs> Who's that you? Who's that me? Our wilderness journey is right here. They're going to the promised land. What's our promised land? Not there yet. We're in the wilderness journey. And the same kind of stuff they had to deal with and put up with is the same kind of stuff you and I have to deal with and put up with. And it ought to draw us closer to the Lord because he gave them his word, right? And he gave us his word. The Jews' journey through the wilderness is a picture of we Christians living life in this world till we get to heaven. Life's daily duties, struggles, trials, things that come up can bear down on us and humble us, draw us closer to God and one another. Embracing our bittersweet side can also motivate us toward pursuing difficult goals, she says. Bittersweet feelings create momentum for change and help us find our purpose because they point us toward inner truths about our lives and what matters most to us. You ever been in a really rough spot? I mean, a really rough spot? Is this a rhetorical question, Pastor? (laughs) You ever been in a really, really rough spot? And you're like, what in the world is going on here? Lord says, we just need to sit down, you and I, and talk about something so you can figure out what's going on and get to the next level. Because you haven't figured it out yet, and I want you on the next level. And I can't seem to get your attention, but this has got your attention. And through this, if you'll listen, we can get to the next level. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I didn't get to the next level till the Lord had me look in the mirror and said, you know why you can't get to the next level? Because you're a self-righteous jerk. And that's not who she needs to love her. Me? Superman? The knight in shining armor? You got the wrong guy, Lord. Lord says, no, no, no. You got the wrong guy because that ain't you. Victor. How do you handle it? God help me. I don't know if I can get through this. You can. It's not going to be fun, but you'll be better on the other side. If we lean into our sense of longing and sorrow, we can better assess what's wrong with our current lives and access our deepest passions. You know what's wrong with a lot of Christians today? Pastors are good at that, man. We could sit here all day and just rip you guys to shreds. And we're just as guilty. But you know what's wrong with most Christians today? There's no passion. I think it's a problem in a lot of pulpits. I mean, we should be preaching in such a manner that I'd be a fire extinguisher up here. We'd generate a little heat. But you know what's wrong with a lot of Christians? We sing without feeling. 
We sin without concern and we pray without passion. And God said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Some people don't pray till they end up in prison or a hospital bed. And sometimes sorrow brings something called passion back into our hearts and minds. And sometimes it takes a passionate call to God for him to go, you know, I heard you all along, but now I'm listening. Because I think you actually mean what you're saying. It's with these passions moved by sorrow that we can pray more effectively to God. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 10. This is Hannah. She's childless. And it really bothers her. And she was in bitterness of soul. And prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And I can't tell you that if you do that, you're going to get what you want. But I can tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, she got her prayer answered. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you or I prayed that way? Praying and weeping sore. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Right? We put out a lot of tracks in Portland. We put out a lot. But there, I don't think there's been very much tears sown with those tracks. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Sorrow will help us. We let it. It's why people who go through traumatic events can sometimes grow from their pain and use it to promote good. Not shrinking from sorrow can help us grow. Even at work argues, uh, came people who are given free reign to stop putting on a happy face and instead to admit mistakes, share personal sorrows, and express their yearnings are happier, healthier, and more productive than those who try to appear sunny and infallible. Partly being more authentic about our emotions builds trust and improves work relationships. Amen. Uh, we, we lost five technicians. We had 10. And uh, five of them came from a school in Arizona and um, for two years, we, they had a contract. After two years, they could decide if they wanted to stay in Portland or go home. And uh, one of them decided to move back to New York, where his parents are. Another one decided to go down to L.A., where his mom is, and he wants to go pursue business school, maybe. And uh, a couple others wanted to live outside of Portland and left. Uh, one of them couldn't really afford it. And uh, we're hurting. This is our busiest time of year. We have half the personnel to get the job done. And it's difficult. We're booking appointments into October. Someone calls on the phone and says, I want to bring my car in. I need an oil change. Can you get it done on Friday? 
Friday, what month? And you know what you hear dozens of times a day? Are you kidding? You think that doesn't wear on you? We get off that phone and we're all going through it. And we'll say, man, this is really tough. And we look at the guy next to us and said, yeah, it is really tough. And you know what? It brings a bond. We are better friends now because of it. And we understand we're more willing to help each other because we're all hurting in the same way. It's weird, isn't it? James chapter 1, verse number 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Another flavor of bittersweet feelings, recognizing impermanence. Impermanence, right? Something that's not permanent. Impermanence. Uh, brings the beauty of the world into stark relief for us, says Cain. Transcendent experiences, feeling a sense of wonder, common humanity, and a part of something greater than yourself are among the most bittersweet and meaningful experiences in life and can actually lead to higher self-esteem. And I'm, I'm, I'm not an advocate of self-esteem unless it's the, to the self-esteem where I am a child of the king. Amen. I am a child of the king. I'm not, you know, a, a, a stupid Bible thumper. I'm a child of the king. I'm going to heaven when I die. And, you know, because some folks just beat on themselves. I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm no good. And that's that. That's not self-deprecation can be a bad thing, right? Get the sin right and then go on. You're a child of the king. Um, a kind behavior, greater life satisfaction, and less depression. Less depression. What's that from sorrow? Interesting. All of this doesn't mean we should wish to suffer or wallow in the limitations of our mortal lives, right? That the impermanence, we understand all flesh is as grass. Oh, the glory of man is the flower of grass and the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, right? That's us. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, right? We don't. We want to recognize that impermanence and embrace the day. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We may not have tomorrow. We need to allow sorrow and pain to coexist with moments of joy or connection and not push it away. Uh, we'll finish with this here. Our heartfelt sorrow for those that don't know Jesus Christ that aren't on their way to heaven. Amen. And, and this ought to be something that we, we have. Uh, it, it, there ought to be something where there's, there's a, a, a sorrow we have for, you know, and there's some pretty crummy folk out there <laughs> that aren't saved. <laughs> and there's some pretty good folk too. You work with some of them. Some are your next door neighbors. Some of your mom, dad, your son, your daughter, your uncle, your aunt. Romans chapter 9, verse number 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not in my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So he means this. <laughs> that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart 
For I wish that I, that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsfolk in the flesh. Romans chapter 10 and verse number one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Might we as Christians have a desire to get the gospel out to lost people? Understanding what the result is if they don't get saved. And might it give us a sorrow of heart that would compel us to pray for folks to get saved, to pass out a gospel track, to be willing to bear the reproach of Christ just so we can try and give somebody an opportunity to say yes, no, maybe. Someone did for you (laughs) or you wouldn't be here. And sometimes we're a better witness when we feel their pain. I remember uh, I was at Food for Less out, out front, getting ready to head to the car. And I was walking down the sidewalk and a guy walking past me. And I said, can I offer you a free gospel track? Tell you how to get to heaven. I think, I think back then I was a little younger and I was a little rougher. Can I offer a free gospel track? Tell you how to escape hell. And he said, uh, there is no escape for me. He meant it. I mean, you could just hear the utter hopelessness in his voice from the depths of his soul. I'm going to hell. I said, sir, you don't have to. I'm going to hell. I remember that to this day, 20, 30 years ago. I was at, uh, I went to um, Pensacola, Florida for um, AOCS, Aviation Officers Candidate School. And you do that for 13 weeks and provided you pass, survive, graduate. Then you go into primary flight training. Uh, also, they're just north, I think, at Pace Field there in Florida. And then you get orders to intermediate, advanced, and then to the RAG, replacement air group. And... Um, in AOCS, I met a guy named uh, Dennis Lowry. Um, just a nice guy, straight-up guy. You know, some of the guys in the military, they they learn quickly how to play the game and, you know, get FaceTime with the boss and all the kind of He was just a straight-up guy. That's just a good guy. We watched football games together. At the time, I was a crummy Christian. You know, we'd drink beer. I'd bump smokes off of him. We'd smoke, smoke uh, cigarettes, drink beer, watch football. And the Lord's tapping on my heart and said, why don't you tell Dennis about Jesus Christ? You like him. Do you know if he's going to heaven or not? And I suspect that he wasn't. I didn't know. And I kind of brushed it off because, you know, I'm in the military. He's a, he's a guy. and Maybe someone else will. I don't know. And we went to, I went to uh, Pacefield, he went to Pacefield. And from there, you either go props, helos, or jets. There's a pipeline you take, you know, depending on how you perform, the needs of the Navy and all that. So he went uh, props down in Corpus Christi, and I went to uh, Beeville, just, to, you know, 45 minutes, hour, hour north. Uh, and I got into the, to the jet pipeline. And um, 
Another uh, guy that went through ALCS was Dave Everett. Uh, he got helos, and uh, they're tough to fly. Um, and I was uh, in flight training, getting ready to go to uh, work out, and then I was going to go to the officer's quarters and look at the flight schedule to see you know, when the next time was I flew. And uh, my wife says, hey, Dennis is on the, her, not Dennis, but uh, what's the other guy's name? Everett. Dave Everett. Dave's on the phone. Really? Dave Everett? Wow. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Had a 1970 Roadrunner. How you doing, Dave? Doing okay. I said, what's going on? He said, well, I know you and uh, Dennis Lowry were friends. And I thought I'd better tell you what happened. I never really like telling this story. It's just... One of those true stories that's good, though. I mean, not for Dennis, but good for us. I said, well, what, what's going on? He said, Dennis was in the flight pattern landing pattern, and in the landing pattern, you're entered at 1,000 feet, 1,200 feet, you break, lower down to 800 feet, here's the runway, and you're going opposite direction of the runway, and then you start a descending turn from 800 feet on down, and then you land. And in this descending turn, you want to keep about 25, 30 degrees angle of bank, about four or 500 foot per minute rate of descent, so you can roll wings level in front of that runway and land. Well, he got too close on the downwind leg. And so he's trying to make the turn. He's going to overshoot. And he said, well, I don't want to overshoot. Keep in mind now, he's off the throttles. He's in a descending turn. He's going to overshoot. And so he wants to wrap the plane up more to try and make the landing. And the, here's your plane and here's your wings. If you know anything about aerodynamics, the wings are what give you lift. And the more you're like this, the, you, the less lift you have. And so as he's wrapping it up, and he's back on the throttles pretty soon. What happens is one of those wings loses lift and it flips over. And his plane flipped upside down. He grabbed the ejection handle and pulled the ejection handle. And killed on impact. Got a rocket motor on there. It hits about, I don't know. 50 G's or so, and he just went straight into the ground. And I said, oh, boy, I'm really sorry to hear that. That's bad news. Dave said, I'm sorry I had to tell you, but I knew you'd want to know. I told my, my wife, I said, you know, I'm going to go work out. I'll check the flight school and come back, check the flight schedule, come back. So I'm heading off to the gym. You see, before that, I got to spend five months at Pensacola, uh, Dr. Ruckman's church. I didn't know anything about the King James Bible. Didn't know anything about it. But I got there, I found out. And there are people there, it was weird. They really believed what was in the book. I mean, it was astonishing. 
Sunday evening service, this guy stands up and said, my dad died on Friday. Kind of a weird testimony. He starts crying. And he says he is lost and he's in hell right now. He is bawling like a baby. And he forced himself to warn us, if you have lost parents, family, friends, warn them before they go there. My dad's there. He'll never get out. And that thing stuck. So I'm on the on my way to the gym, and I said, Lord, I pray be with Dennis. Pretty stupid, huh? <laughs> what is that going to do? And I don't believe in visions, but I clearly could see his face, the expression of utter anguish on his face, looking up at me, stretching his hands out and screaming in pain. Whoa. Went and worked out. Went to the officer's quarter, looked at the flight schedule. Headed back to the little trailer we're staying in. And on the way there, I said, Lord, pray you'll be with Dennis. Double stupid. Lord said, you didn't get it the first time? Show me the same thing the second time. Same thing. Again, I don't go with the visions and all that stuff, but I'm just telling you, that's what I saw. Him. Exactly the same. Screaming in agony, looking up at me. Opened the door to the trailer. I said to my wife, I said, I'll be back in a little bit. Took a walk on that base, and I said, God, I don't care what you have to do to me. And at the time, I, I ran a lot. I, I, I loved fitness, and I said, God, you got to take my legs. I don't care. I don't want one of more of my friends going there because I wouldn't say something. Wasn't very good for him, but good for me. And good for people that have passed tracks out too that have, why don't you get a job? What are you doing down here? Get out of my face. I don't want to hear about that Jesus Christ BS. Okay. Maybe next time, sir. You go downtown, pass out tracks. I've had people threaten to hurt me. <laughs> And do other things where I won't feel pain anymore forever. <laughs> Lord's been good. Had a tough lesson to get me to that point. And again, it wasn't good for him, but it sure has been good for me and the people that I've been able to witness to. Continual sorrow in my heart. What's that, souls? We go downtown for a while. There was every Saturday night. We're not as uh, strict as we were. But in Portland, Oregon, you go downtown Saturday night, you're going to get rained on. <laughs> you're in the Pacific Northwest. You know what's wild? Brother Fred, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, please, because he goes downtown with us too, or went downtown with us. Now he's in Mexico. I'd say 90% of the time, 
90% of the time. If it's raining, by the time we pass out tracks, in the first 10, 15 minutes, it goes down to almost nothing and then it stops. I've gotten back in the car, headed home, and the rain picks up again. 90% of the time, we'll pass out tracks dry. Part of that is imagine the Lord just being nice to us. Part of it is he probably doesn't want us to be pansies and punk out on him. Part, <laughs> the other part of it is God wants them to get the gospel. He'll close out a million, multi-million dollar baseball game with rain. He won't close us down. A couple of punk uh, Bible-believing Baptists in a car heading down to downtown Portland going to pass out a few hundred tracks. He'll shut the weather down. So they get out. He's serious. We should be. Sower in our heart for lost folk and a willingness to do something about it. God help us. Better to know on this side of eternity than that side. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the abundant life in Christ and your son. He, he hit the nail on the head. A, a life where even sorrow can work for good. Comfort, consolation, lost folk getting the gospel being able to commiserate with others, staying humble, understanding life is short, live it for thee while we can. God, all these wonderful things, sorrow, help us, God. Help us as Christians to not mumble and complain like those that went through the wilderness and didn't make it. Lord, we know we're going to heaven. We just want to go to heaven right we want to go to heaven pleasing Thee. And Father, we'd love to see others go to heaven because we've got the gospel to them. Help us, Lord, to enjoy being enriched by this abundant life, including sorrow. Help us, God, to be wise and not to get stuck there. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.